Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are here on this Sunday morning. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are wrapping up a series that we have been talking through over the last seven weeks on the wisdom of trees. We see in Scripture, trees are kind of one of the operative metaphors for what a life of flourishing looks like. And so we have tried to look through and kind of mine the best of kind of modern-day science about what trees can teach us about what it looks like to apply those principles to our own life. And to get us started this morning, we're going to start with a little trivia, because I like trivia. Uh, Who knows where the tallest tree in the world is located? Who's smart enough? Who knows? Or who wants to risk not knowing? I'm going to avoid asking my father if he knows the answer, because he knows the answer probably. Anybody else want to shout out an answer? California. Who said California? Somebody on their phone looking it up on Google? That's right, California. The tallest tree in the world is in California. It's a giant sequoia, a part of the Redwood Forest in the Sierra Nevada range. And this tree has a name. It's called Hyperion. And as I was doing research about this tree, one of the things I think is really fascinating about this tree is the National like, Parks and Wildlife Services. They no longer disclose where the tree is located because they don't want people to discover this tree and maybe vandalize it. But if you're kind of thinking what I'm thinking, it's like, well, it's the tallest tree. Don't you, don't you kind of know, like, well, there it is. Like, it's like trying to be seven feet tall and hiding in a crowd. It's like, I don't know that a disguise works when you're that tall, but the tallest tree in the world is in California. Now, if you've ever been to the Redwood Forest, you know that Hyperion is not the only really tall tree. These trees grow hundreds and hundreds of feet tall. In fact, Hyperion is 380 feet tall. And just to give you a sense of scale about how tall 380 feet is, here is Hyperion next to Big Ben, next to the Statue of Liberty, and next to like, another tree that's like 130 feet tall. And then if you can see that little speck at the bottom, that's me or you. Five, eleven and a half, I round up to six feet, but that's me down there at the base of Hyperion. Now, here's what I think is so fascinating about this tree and other redwood trees like it. If you go to California, where these trees grow wild, they are 200, 300 plus feet tall. And about 150 years ago, They started to take these small little saplings of these redwood trees and they would bring them over to Europe. Somebody, you know, took a trip to California. They see these giant, magnificent trees and they're like, oh my gosh, we have to have this where we live. So they bring these saplings over on these boats and they kind of plant them in gardens and parks around Europe. Now, the tallest giant sequoia in Europe is less than 150 feet tall. So for scale, that other tree that you see on the screen is 130 feet. That's close to the tallest redwood tree in Europe. And so if you ask, well, what's the difference between the two trees? Why is one so much taller than the other trees? Why is it that in Europe, these redwoods don't seem to grow nearly as tall as the ones in California? Well, it's really simple. Because they were brought over They were farmed and raised in a controlled environment. So here's what happens when these trees are brought over to Europe. They grow them in kind of these nurseries. Now, to make them more manageable, more easy to ship 
around Europe and plant in these different locations, they trim their root systems. Now, a normal 10-foot tree has a root system that's at least 20 feet long. These trees that they have migrated over to Europe, they trim their root systems to about 20 inches. Well, that's a huge difference between 20 feet. And so they have these nice, neat, manageable root systems that allow them to be transported all throughout Europe. But what does it do to the growth of the tree? It stunts it. It it limits it. Now, as you can imagine, as we're trying to kind of tie a bow around all of this, there is a direct connection to the health and the depth of our root systems and the amount of growth that we experience in our life. And this plays out perfectly in these redwoods that exist in Europe. And so kind of the last principle that we're going to talk about this morning, kind of the last of seven is this. A flourishing life is a deeply rooted life. In fact, on average, most trees have a root system that is twice the width of their crown or the length of the tree, depending on the type of tree that it is. So if it has kind of a wide, bushy crown, you know, that's kind of from one branch to the other branch, you can imagine that their root system extends at least double that length. And if they're a really tall tree with not a lot of branches, the root system is at least double their height. So an average 10-foot tree, root system of 20 feet. Except for these trees, they get raised in these very contained environments. Now here's what's fascinating, I think, about these redwood trees that are in Europe. Not only do they not grow as tall as the giant sequoias in California, but because their root systems are so shallow, they start to seek out and search out nutrients in all sorts of surprising places. One of the problems that they have in Europe is because of where they've planted some of these trees, they find their root systems like entangling and ensnaring sewage systems and wiring systems, and they find these random root systems all over their city. And it causes problems, as you can imagine, because roots are hard to control and they end up kind of breaking and damaging things. But what's happening in Europe is because of where these trees are planted, they don't, the root systems don't have the ability to grow as deep as they need to support the growth of the tree. And so their roots get into all of these places that don't actually have access to the nutrients and the life that they need to grow these trees. Now, I think the analogy in our life is pretty similar. For many of us, we have these really shallow root systems, or we have kind of had our root systems trimmed by our community around us, the culture that telling us how we're supposed to live, what's supposed to be important, the things that we're supposed to devote our life and our energy and our resources to. And so our root systems, searching for nourishment, searching for depth, have found their ways into all sorts of places that don't actually provide sustenance, nutrients, and life. And so over the last seven weeks, We've been trying to unpack what it would look like to live a flourishing life. And so much of it is dependent upon the root systems that we have and the way that our root systems support our growth. Now, Scripture paints these pictures again and again about how trees are the metaphor for human flourishing, the way that God has designed us to live into our fullest. And in week one, I started with a passage of Scripture that informed our identity as a grove. Now, what we said was the grove is a group of fruit-producing trees. And so this passage of Scripture paints the picture about what the Christian life can actually look like. And so 
to kind of wrap up our series and kind of tie a bow around everything, I thought I would remind us one more time about this word picture and about this principle that a flourishing life is a deeply rooted life. Now, this comes to us out of the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is writing to a group of believers who find themselves exiled from their homeland. And so they're in a foreign environment. They're in a different community and a culture that doesn't support all of their values, all of their belief systems, all of kind of the ways that they're supposed to extend their roots and live this really deeply rooted life of faith. All the people around them have different practices, habits, customs, kind of indicators as to where they should spend their resources and their time and their energies. And so Jeremiah reminding them about what a flourishing life looks like. He reminds them of the importance of deeper roots. And so this is what he says. He says, blessed, fullness of life is available to those whose trust is in the Lord. Now, it's easy for us to put our trust in lots of different things, to have our root systems seek out and search out nourishment and nutrients and access to life in places that don't actually provide it. But what Jeremiah teaches us here, he says, blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And here comes the metaphor. They are like a tree planted by water. And then here's the metaphor. Sending its roots out by the stream. Jeremiah knows that the healthiest trees are the trees with the deepest and widest root systems. Along places full of nourishment, full of life, full of support for flourishing. He said, they're like trees, people who trust in God, planted by a stream sending out its roots. It says, it shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. When adversity comes its way, when hardship, when difficulty comes its way, it's impervious to the environment around it. We all have experienced moments in our life where our faith, our sense of hope and security has been shaken, has been kind of confronted Maybe it's been kind of a medical issue that you're dealing with in your own life for the life of a loved one. Maybe it's some impact to your job or your career, your financial health. Maybe it's something with your kids that always seems to kind of chop us at the knees, right? When our kids are struggling, when we don't know how to best support them or come alongside them or give them access to the tools and the resources that they need. Or maybe it's just your own sense of kind of low-grade anxiety you know that you want more, you know you want your life to look different, but you don't quite know how to access it. When we have those moments, typically it's in these difficult, challenging moments that I get the phone calls and the emails. I don't know if you're surprised to find out that nobody calls me and tells me that they're having a good week. I don't get an email. Hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm doing great this week. Yesterday was an amazing day. I just wanted you to know. And that's okay. That's, that's what we want. That's why we're here. But it is interesting to me that when crisis comes, when difficulty, when hardship comes in our life, and again, it comes over and over again in all of these different forms, I can tell the difference between the people who have a deep and sustaining root system and those who don't. In fact, it's almost shocking to me the way that two stories with similar details can have such dramatic differences in result and impact. One person who's got a network of 
faithful community around them. Somebody who has a deep faith, kind of a robust relationship with God that's informed by kind of daily practices of prayer and scripture reading. People whose lives are truly rooted in and trusting in God's presence and activity in their life versus people who try to come to church sometimes and that's about the extent of it. When difficult things happen, one group typically has a much harder time navigating. It's not that one group is prevented from experiencing difficulty. That's not true at all. But one group seems to be able to survive and flourish even in the face of challenge and difficulty and adversity. And the other struggles. And Jeremiah is saying, you can trace this directly back to where your roots are connected. Do you have deep roots that are providing flourishing in your life? What are your roots tapped into? If the roots that are feeding you are tapped into your social status or some sense of financial security or some amount of like success and career achievement, eventually you are going to experience some type of heat and drought in your life that your root systems will no longer be able to support. Jeremiah says, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's another place that you can be planted where your roots can deepen and you can experience unbelievable growth in your life. And he kind of ends the passage and he says, in the year of drought, they're not anxious and they don't cease to bear fruit. You see, fruit is directly connected to growth. If you or of the mind and of the opinion that you are growing in your relationship with God, a really easy litmus test is what is the fruit in your life? Are you more patient with your family? Are you kinder to strangers? Are you more generous in your life? Doesn't have to be just financially. Are you more generous? Are you, do you have a greater sense or a growing sense of peace? Do you have a deeper trust that God is with you even in difficult circumstances? Are all of those things growing and developing in your life? If not, then we have to check the roots because our roots are directly connected to the growth and then ultimately the fruit in our life. If you find yourself increasingly more stressed, increasingly more anxious, increasingly more critical or cynical or skeptical or unkind to the people around you, check your roots. This is kind of the core principle of scripture. Where are your roots tapped into? Are they deepening? Are they growing? Or are they chopped off for convenience, finding their ways into sewer systems for any attempt at sustenance and nutrients? This is true for us as people. It's true for us as families. I think one of the greatest things that we can do for our children and for our families is to have a common shared sense of like a faith to communicate, to talk about it, to pray at mealtimes, to incorporate and invite God into every type of conversation, to talk about our Christian values in the ways that they inform the decisions that we make. This is why we don't do that or this is why I'm not comfortable with you going there because of these principles, these ethics, this Christian identity that we possess. It's so easy to see families who are struggling with their relationship with their kids or who feel 
discouraged or frustrated about where their kids are or the behaviors that their kids are participating in. And the mentality is like, well, I dropped them off at church. It's easy to outsource that growing, deepening root system or to want to. This is something that's slow and it takes time, but it is what leads to flourishing in our families in our friendships, and our relationships. It's also true about a church. This is why Commitment Sunday matters to us. It's not just about the generosity that comes in, but it's about the collective commitment to participating in deepening our roots as a church. A tree's growth is limited by its roots. In a lot of ways, this church is limited by our roots. There is so much more that I would love for us to be able to do as a church. I shared a statistic a couple of Sundays ago and have repeated it since, but half of the families here at the Grove support the church financially. We are limited in half by what we can do just by the number of families who support the church. What I think is so incredible though is even in the face of that statistic, statistics only tell part of the story because in the face of that statistic, we have a group of families who have experienced for themselves how much flourishing exists when their root systems are deeper, that they're gonna do a direct one-for-one -one match for any first-time giver to the church. If you've never given to the Grove financially, we have a group of families who will match your gift dollar for dollar. It's incredible. I have never heard of another church who does something like this. It's truly unbelievable, the generosity that they wanna share because they are confident in this principle being true, that a flourishing life is a deeply rooted life. And it's true for this church. There's so much that we can do in our communities, in our families. Ways that we can pour into our kids. We have a full kids building every Sunday and not enough support to teach them in the ways that we would like. We have a youth ministry. We have over 100 youth in this church that don't have access to a full-time youth pastor. Now, we are on the search and we are trying to hire, but there's so much that we are doing that we are limited in what we're able to do as a church. There's so many classes and studies and Bible studies and groups that we want to make available to this community. We think everybody should be involved in something other than just Sunday morning. There are more next steps for all of us to take. But there's a finite number of resources and hours in the day. And so as our roots deepen as a church, we have the ability to create environments that help all of us deepen our roots as followers of Christ. This is why our commitment to generosity matters because it translates into stories. It translates into opportunities for people to deepen their roots and to grow and experience human flourishing. This is what God wants for all of us. And what I think is incredible about this morning is we have the opportunity to make it so. And so in a few moments, we're gonna participate in a collective commitment to deeper roots. If you have given to the church financially before, I ask that you, that you match that gift and consider increasing it. If you've never given to the church before, I know it's hard to start, but I hope that you will, that you will participate in that one-for-one -one match. 
I hope that we'll all be prayerful in these next few moments about ways that we can deepen our commitment so that God can do more things in this church and through this church. There's so much about our community ministries, our partnerships with Men and Nehemiah and other agencies that we have yet to tap into. They'll be here next Sunday leading us in worship, but there's still so much more that we could be doing with them, ways that we could support them and the work that they're doing in the lives of men. There's so many other agencies and organizations that we want to partner with. It's just a matter of how and can we and do we have the resources to support them well. And so in these next moments, I hope that you will take that commitment card and just say, God, okay, lead me. Help me discern the ways that you want me to deepen my roots, ways that I can participate in all of the growth that you have waiting for this church in the coming year. I'm gonna pray for that moment. Pray for God to speak and move here in this place in each side, inside each one of us. And then I'm gonna invite you forward to share in that moment together. So let's pray. Gracious God, it's in these moments that we recognize that it is in you that we find life. God, that life is limited by the depths of our roots. And so God, as we seek to experience more life in you, help us to participate in the ways that we can create opportunities for others to experience the same life. God, it is difficult at times to trust you with our resources, to let go of what we think we need to hold on tightly to, especially our money, God. We know that you have said that where our treasures are, our hearts are also. And so God, allow us to treasure life in you most. God, help us to release what you have allowed us to be temporary stewards of. Inspire us to greater generosity so that we can have deeper roots that allow you to create greater growth in this place and inside each one of us in the coming year. We are so grateful for the opportunity to gather as a church, to pray over all of the collective resources that we have, and then to commit to share them so that you can work through them. God, we know that this is an act of collective obedience, discipline, and faithfulness. But God, we are certain that you see it, that you honor it, and that you bless it. And so God, may you bless these gifts May you bless our families as we come forward together to pray over them and to give them back to you. God, we know great things are in store for this church and through this church in the coming year. And we ask that you use all of these gifts according to your will and for your glory in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. So friends, here's how we're going to...